and I'll reign with him throughout eternity. And I'll reign with him throughout eternity. One of the, in the passage that in 1 Thessalonians 1, that Bob was opening up for us this morning. Let me change that. The Holy Spirit was opening up for us this morning. Uh, it talks about what is coming to God's people. And it talks about the patience of hope. What's the hope that causes us to become patient, perseverant, keep putting one foot in front of the other? The hope, the expectation is there's a kingdom coming. And Pharaoh's palace, Buckingham Palace, won't hold a candle to what our Lord will usher us into. I've forgotten the guy's name. He was a prince in the, one of the German duchies who literally was take, removed from his throne by his people because he was bankrupting. I believe it was Bavaria. He was bankrupting the nation by building one palace after another after another and everyone was more more expensive than the one before and you can go to the, that part of Germany now and visit all those beautiful castles that he had built about 150 years ago they're gorgeous they ain't nothing compared to what our Lord will set in place for us we're all going to be standing there yeah this is really me and I'm really in this place that's the kind of God that we have. But it all goes back to this. Isaiah chapter 55. What are we without Christ? What do we have to bring to the kingdom table without Christ? Simple answer. Not only not a thing, but a mountain of debts. A mountain of debts. About three weeks ago, I did a wedding. And in the ceremony, right in the middle of the ceremony, I stop everything. And I explain how what we are modeling here in this wedding ceremony with this bride and this groom, this is an imitation of Christ in the church. Well, it's the standard operating procedure or the standard format for marriage in the ancient world was that the bride would come with a a dowry a financial endowment that accompanied her into the marriage well with Jesus and us that's upside down because his potential bride us we don't have a dowry we've got a mountain of debts that accompanies us. So if the groom is going to create this marriage, he doesn't get a dowry. He, in fact, has to pay off the bride's debts to create this marriage. And that's what he did 
on the cross when he cried out, it is finished, tetelestai is the Greek word, paid in full. I just paid off that mountain of sin debt of my bride so that now she can, without any hindrance whatsoever, create this union with me. I can create a union with her because I've completely addressed that issue. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, pay attention. Listen. Everyone who thirsts. Do only immoral people on the human scale get thirsty? No, all human beings, if you deprive them of water long enough, they get thirsty. This is descriptive of as far as kingdom water is concerned. This is the whole human race. If we are thirsty for relationship with God, that's not a thirst that we can slake. God has to provide that water. Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Wait a minute. No money, come buy and eat. That's not a sensible entreaty. That's not a sensible command. That's not a sensible invitation. If I have no money, how can I come by and eat? What does the price tag have to say that would allow an impoverished person to come and buy and eat? The price tag has to say free. Come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. One of the lies of Satan to you and me is, you piece of garbage, do you really believe that the holy God would welcome you into his presence? Get out of here. What do we have to say in reply? You bet I do. You bet I do. The blood of Jesus cleansed my debt. And so the Holy God welcomes me into his presence. And he isn't holding his nose when he does it. He has a grin on his face and he is welcoming me with wide open arms. Ladies and gentlemen, that's spiritual warfare. That's what it looks like. Because you have to say that to Lucifer when he is accusing you. You have to tell him, go peddle your paper somewhere else, pal. I know what the truth is. And he will run away. He will flee from you. He cannot stand. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And so much of human religion is what? It is human effort expended to solve a problem that Jesus already solved. Jesus solved my problem. It is finished. It is paid in full. All I have to do is hold down out an empty hand and say to the forgiving God, whose son Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him has enough faith to hold out an empty hand. Whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. You believe in Christ. You know what happens to that perish future? It's removed. And it's replaced with everlasting relationship and welcome with the Holy God. That's what everlasting life is. Welcome with the Holy God. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why do you keep trying to earn and pay a debt that's already been paid? You know, I dare say there are some uh, used car dealers, you know, you go and they fund the thing, and they would be happy once you paid it off if you kept coming back every month and kept paying them after you've already paid it. I mean, I'm sure they'd rather, and you know what? That's a whole lot of human religion is about collecting on a debt that's already been paid. Get out of here. My debt's been paid. Ladies and gentlemen, why did Jesus institute the Lord's Supper? Why did he? I mean, he didn't specify it has to be once a week. It has to be once. A, but it is to be done regularly. He does specify that. Why? Because it is important for God's people to be brought back to square one. If you're an old Monopoly player, brought back to go. <laughs> given a reminded of what is the starting place in our understanding of our relationship with God. It is the blood, the broken body, and the shed blood of Christ, that body broken. This is done in remembrance of his broken body, in remembrance of his shed blood. It's done. And we walk in that victory. It's permanent, and if you keep reminding Lucifer of it, the enemy of your soul, he will just can't, he won't be able to abide your presence. Because he hates that truth. It broke his power. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And eating and drinking are metaphors for exercise faith in. That's why this is eating and drink. What's the moral requirement to be able to sit down and eat food? There isn't any. As long as you got teeth. <laughs> as long as you got teeth or false teeth and can chew and swallow. There's no moral requirement to eat that steak that says you can and you can't based on morality. I'm sure Al Capone ate plenty of steaks. Come, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. What's the moral requirement to, for your ears to operate? Do only saints, the ears of saints work? No. The ears of Saul of Tarsus were working before he went down on his face by Jesus' command outside the gates of Damascus. Remember one, one of the things Jesus said to him? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What do you suppose those goads were? Well, it could have been, as he says of himself in the book of Romans, that's, that tenth commandment, you shall not covet, was beating me to death because I couldn't that's the internalizing of Numbers 1 through 9. 
and I could fake numbers one through nine to other people's eyes. But number 10 was my eyes. Nobody else knew about it. And I knew I wasn't really a law keeper. I was a lawbreaker. And I think another goad might have been Acts chapter 7, that message of Stephen. And Stephen saying just before they stoned him to death, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know, the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Why did Stephen see Jesus standing? Because I would dare say he saw him not only standing, but standing there with his arms open. And you talk about making them angry because he's declaring their resurrected, ascended in power, Jesus. And he says, I see him. And he had a smile on his face while they stoned him. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting, eternal covenant with you. This is the new covenant in my blood. The new contract the new basis of relationship. I will make a new covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 51. David is confessing his sin of adultery and murder. He should have been under two piles of rocks. But you know what the Bible says? that the Lord Jesus Christ has authority on earth to forgive sins. If Jesus said, no, you're not, that man, that woman isn't going to prison, even though the law in the book says they should, if he says they're not, they're not. In the Christian Men's Job Corps, we've had more than one man testify that they were in the Kerr County Jail And the Lord Jesus just walked them out of there. And they didn't say they were innocent. But Jesus said, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And he he exempted David. And what's the first verse of Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God. And you know what David knew? when he prayed for mercy. I would implore you, live in the Psalms, live in the Psalms, live in the Psalms, live in the Psalms. You will be feeding your own spirit, but you will also see, especially in David, you will see a man who knew what God was like and constantly is citing God to God. Lord, because you were like this, Here's my expectation. Lord, because you were like this, here's my expectation. Lord, because you were like this, here's my expectation. The names of God. He's naming the names of God to God, which didn't offend God one bit. He loved it. It's what he encourages us to do. It's why he tells us his names. This is the merciful God. This is written 300 years later. 
David writes that psalm about 1000 BC. This is about 700 BC, 300 years later. And what does God direct a very sinful Judah to? The sure mercies of David. When David said, have mercy on me, O God, he knew he'd get it. And so can you know that. God isn't just that kind of God for David. He's that kind of God for everyone. Otherwise, those psalms have no meaning. They have meaning for us because it's the same God. And the same God loyal to David is loyal to us. The same God who acted in a certain way to David is acting, will act that way to us. The sure, I've made a new covenant, an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. In Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This is about 100 years after this has been written, about 600 B.C. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, Israel, not like the covenant that we made on Sinai, which covenant you broke because it was all about human performance. It was really diagnostic. It was to show them how hopeless they were and they needed mercy, which is exactly what Psalm 51 is about. Not like that covenant, which is based on your performance. I'm going to make a new covenant. I will, I will, I will. Not asking for anything from the I will. Number four, I will, as your sins and iniquities remember no more. Does that sound like a plan you could be happy with? The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness of the people. He wasn't a one-off. He wasn't an exception. No, he is an example. I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Well, how in the world can a man 300 years died 300 years ago, be for me to follow. Follow what he says there in Psalm 51. He will still be your leader. Follow his lead to God's mercy. A leader and a commander for the people, surely. The sure mercies of David. Well, here's another sure thing. By the way, what was God's overwhelming promise to them through Abraham? What's the big... I will make you the most blessed nation on the face of the planet. In fact, all blessing to all other nations will come as an overflow of the blessing I will pour out on you. Now see, as Isaiah is writing this in about 700 B.C., Judah, they've been sacrificing their children to the fire god Molech. They've been worshiping these other pagan idols, the Baals, the Ashtoreths, that's the female fertility goddess. In Ezekiel, the Lord takes Ezekiel to the temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's with the captives in Babylon. He is carried in the spirit into the temple in Jerusalem and God gives him a guided tour into all those hidden rooms in the temple where the Jewish leadership has set up idols of these pagan gods in God's own temple in Jerusalem and they are secretly worshiping the pagan idols. 
what's the point? Uh, Ezekiel, I think you will agree these people are ripe for judgment. They believe they've outsinned the willingness or ability of God to forgive. And I have talked to men and women who believe that, who have literally said, I was in a Bible study, this is about 12 years ago at the Christian Men's, at the uh, Cowboy Camp meeting. And there was a pastor there, it was the men's Bible study, and he has presented the gospel, and he's talking about the mercy and grace of God. The man seated behind me said under his breath, but you don't know what I've done. God knows. And God placed it on his son on the cross and judged that sin already, sir. And I deliberately did not turn around to see who that was. And I was the preacher that night. I spoke next. Isaiah 55 is what I preached on. And I said, sir, I didn't look. I don't know who you are. I didn't look. turn around to look to see who you were. Let me tell you, Jesus paid it all. He knew ahead of time what you would do. And Jesus already has paid your debt. Surely you shall call a nation. But see, Judah, not only are they under the burden of their own personal guilt, but they believe they've forfeited the promise to the nation. Surely we've disqualified ourselves. Yes, we know it was an unconditional promise to Abraham, but we broke the conditions. Wait a minute. Unconditional, we broke the conditions. There are no... But see, that's what Lucifer does. He lays false things on us so that he can break our assurance. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you shall run to. No, you haven't because I am Lord, not your sins. Nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This glorification is coming. By the way, this is probably what's called a prophetic perfect. It's, it's placed in the past tense. He has glorified you. That is called a prophetic perfect because in the Hebrew language, when they were talking about a future event, especially in relationship to the acts of God, they would state it in the past tense, the perfect tense. It's done even though it was a future event. Why? Because if God says it's going to happen, it's so certain as if it's already happened, and so we're going to place it in the past tense. But everybody understands it's really a future event. But it was carrying a theological point. So we can translate this, he shall glorify you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. One of the old Puritans said truly, there comes a point where I will not, 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 I will not becomes, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. We often place that purely at the point of death, that the point of physical death, if you pass that point, you pass decision-making opportunity. But I would dare say there are certain individuals in this world that that happens before they die. 
because of their adamant rebellion and refusal and re I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not becomes a complete inability and I cannot. I cannot. And there are some of us who have talked to people who had that mindset and it was a condemnation Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. What's the way of the wicked? What are the thoughts of the <coughs> unrighteous? I've outsinned the willingness of God to forgive. And the Holy Spirit through Isaiah's pen is saying, Nonsense! Stop it! Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. I can't return to the Lord. Oh, yes, you can. Let him return to the Lord, and he will, not he might, not he may, he will have mercy on him. The same mercy that came to the adulterous killer, David, will be yours. He will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly, abundantly, not, okay, well, yes, I think I'll open. You remember, the, we're, some of us are old enough to remember those old cartoons of the, of the skin flinch, you know, the misers that pulled the little pocket change purse out of their pocket, they opened it up and the moths fly out. That's not our God. Our God pulls this gigantic money bag out and rips it open, reaches in and starts throwing he will abundantly pardon. God is much happier to welcome you than you are to be welcomed. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Hey guys, you know what? My mindset, my outlook isn't the same as yours. We can be so glad. And part of growth as a Christian is learning what God thinks about things and start thinking that way also. And that's when you start walking in the wisdom and the power of God. When you start seeing things as he does and therefore behaving like him because that's the way the universe really does operate. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Whew. And my thoughts than your thoughts. One of the testimonies in this Iran magazine is of a Muslim young man who was raised in a very, very strict Sharia law family in Iran. And as a young man, he sinned. He doesn't specify what it was, but he sinned a huge sin. And seeking relief for his conscience, he went to an imam who had no answer for him. Finally, the imam just said, just don't do it again. Just don't do it again. 
just don't do it. Well, I'm not, I'm not planning to do it again, but I have to deal with this heavy conscience. And he couldn't help him one bit because he didn't know anything about the sacrifice of Jesus. He had nothing to say to him. Just don't do it again. And so the young man went home. Nobody was there. He gathered up every prescription drug in the house every single pill, every single capsule, and took them all at once, trying to kill himself. He woke up in the hospital with the doctor standing over him, saying to him, you should be dead. Your survival is a miracle. Out of the mouth of the physician, and then one of his cousins who had come to Christ sent him a New Testament. Called him up and said, I'm going to send you a New Testament. I'm hoping that I'm not confusing some of these testimonies. He set up a time for that young man to go to a local park and meet a guy who would be coming in a taxi who would then hand him a New Testament and then get in the taxi and take off. And he did, and he opened this New Testament. It was already heavily marked. He was probably the 10th person in line to get this New Testament. And he read the New Testament and became a Christian. And then about four months later, his sister said, you sure have changed. Why is that? And he pulled out the New Testament. He said, because of this New Testament, why don't you read it? And she read it and became a Christian. And then Daddy noticed the difference. And Daddy read the New Testament, and was and now their home is a house church. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't think like you. When we wouldn't be willing to forgive ourselves, He's still willing to forgive. He's still willing to forgive. This is my body broken for you. This cup is the new covenant, the new covenant. And the apostles knew what that meant from Jeremiah 31. They knew what that meant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. My shed blood makes that Jeremiah 31 covenant possible. The title of this message is Mercy 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 are you for that I'm for mercy that's where we all must receive and God is more willing to pour it out on us than we are able to receive it as eager as we might be he's even more so he never is halfway let me put it this way we have a jovial God he is a happy God. You know, our Bible says the blessed God. That means happy. I think we're going to be shocked when we enter heaven and we see on the one who is seated on the throne, we're going to see this giant smile. We're going to hear a lot of laughter from God's throne in his delight at welcoming us. Jim, Lloyd, could you gentlemen want to 
help me out.